Welcome and thank you for joining us for the Church by the Glades podcast. If you would like more information about Church by the Glades, including service times and directions, visit cbglades.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. What is up? Church by the Glades. Good to see you, 10 o'clock. Hey, thanks for coming to one of our campuses. Thank you for logging on or watching on television. Uh, I think today's gonna be really helpful because if you missed last week, we uh, stepped in last week into a relationship study. And this is one, unless, thank you, one happy person, relationship study. So unless you live by yourself alone in a cave as a monk, you're trying to figure people out. And the title of the series, The People Who Drive You Crazy, The People Who Drive You Crazy, because it's kind of funny, the people that you love like crazy are also the same people sometimes that drive you crazy. So no matter how skilled you are relationally, if you'll be here every week and be attentive, God will dial up your relational IQ. And the whole title about, you know, the people who drive you crazy. Of course, we've got a car theme going on right now and, and uh, got some cool cars on the stage. Give it up for your car, any car people in the house? So Lisa and I were kind enough to donate our two cars to the stage this weekend. Uh, no, they're not our cars, of course. Uh, I do want to thank the people provided. It's uh, Carts for Calls and, uh, and Big D's Auto Shop. Only in Church by the Glades, we think Big D's Auto Shop. Anyways, thank you guys for, for the cars. There'll be a different car every weekend, I think. Uh, they also put on the car show last week. I always want to have a car show. And that was a lot of fun last week. I do apologize if you got caught in the traffic or couldn't find a place to park. The car show was such a hit, and people came out that we ran out of parking. And uh, that's an awesome problem. We've not had that problem since 2019. So that was great to have a little parking chaos back at this campus of Church by the Glades, but if we ever do it again, and we probably will, we think we have all that figured out because it was a lot of fun. So if you're a car guy or gal or you're trying to figure out relationships, today's gonna help you. And I, I front load the talk this way last week. If the uh, specific relational context I'm talking about does not fit you perfectly, like I'm talking about, I don't know, marriage, and you're single, right? Don't zone out or don't log off because God's principles on relationships are so powerful and pervasive, they're transferable. So I'm talking about something about marriage and you're a single, it's not just taking notes for your future in case you get married. These principles will translate to relationships with your friends or your coworkers. So just take notes, because God is a genius. He invented relationships and the best manual in all of human history on the psychology and sociology of relationships is the Bible. So, so if it's not right on for you, stay with me. But today I'm not even concerned, because the topic today, the relational topic today is for everyone over about age 11. I wanna to talk to you about financial frustration. Put your hands together if you ever felt a degree of financial frustration. And you know, most of us have dealt with, of course, with financial frustration and, and the, the impact it has on relationships can be staggering. In fact, I did some research quickly, some stats on the big screen behind me. Uh, uh, 60, uh, uh, 36% of Americans who divorce say the number one reason they had, the biggest frustration in their marriage was financial pressure. A greater number than infidelity or incompatibility, it was just stress over money led to the demise of a marriage. Uh, in fact, speaking of divorce, you know, right now the divorce stats in America run around 45% of all first marriages will sadly end in divorce. 64% uh, of American families, you know, still together, uh, state based on surveys, they experience a great degree of financial stress. For the single people, it's not just families and marriages. 77% uh, 
of Americans experience financial anxiety from time to time. So if you feel this financial pressure, you're not alone. And we look at these numbers, 36%, 45%, 64%, 77%. At this point, my guess is 98% of you are afraid this is gonna be a message on money because I've mentioned financial like a half dozen times. You're stressed out, oh my gosh, this is gonna be like a giving talk at Church by the Glaze. This is gonna be a giving sermon. Okay, if you're worried about that, relax. I'm gonna to talk to you about money, but I am not gonna ask you to give a nickel. So we're not, you're welcome. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pass a plate or it's not gonna be one of those like pressure things the preacher making you feel guilty, you need to get out your money or your checkbook. What's a checkbook? Your, your Venmo, PayPal, and give. We, we, we don't do that. So if you're new around here, relax. I do wanna to talk to you about the pressure the finances puts on relationships and what the Bible says about money, but I'm not gonna put any pressure on you to give at all, okay? So, so don't worry about it. And if you think, oh my gosh, it's one of those money churches where every weekend the pastor talks about money. It's a money message all the time, there's pressure to give. Ask people as you leave. On average, uh, the, though it's a very big topic in the Bible, money shows up a lot in the Bible. Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven or love or even grace. I mean, he talked about money a lot, so it's, it's in there a bunch, and I probably underserved the topic based on how much is in the scripture. So on average, for like the last 15 years, I do one week in a year. So as I'm doing stats, your chance of catching the money message were less than 2%, less than 2%. But congratulations, you got it today. Today is the money talk, a money talk. But I'm not gonna put any pressure on you to give at all. In fact, I don't, I don't believe in it. I don't believe in guilt giving. In fact, biblically, I don't think it's allowed. Uh, you can write down if you want to. Uh, I'm gonna throw a lot of verses at you today. Write down 2 Corinthians chapter nine where it says, God loves a happy or a cheerful, a joyful giver, someone who wants to give, who's excited about giving. And it also says in the same passage, do not give under compulsion. It means that somebody's making you feel bad. I've been to a charity event where like everybody puts pressure on you. I feel terrible, right? Don't wanna do that. That gift does not honor God, right? So I might, I might tell you at the end why some of us give, because Christians you know, practice and biblically uh, generosity. Well, I'll tell you why, why some of us here today at your campus give 10%, like off the top. And you're a guest going, oh, 10%. This is a cult. Honey, I told you it's a cult. It's, I've heard of these guys, cult by the glades, cult by the glades. And, and, um, and uh, no, not a cult. And, you know, in fact, some of us give over 10%. We give a tithe and an offering like, oh, what? Over 10%, that was a cult and they smoke dope. What is that, I don't understand. I'll just tell you why, but I, I, I wanna ask you, this is not, I have in my notes here giant block letters, not going to ask you to give. I'm not even gonna tell you how we give. We don't pass the plate hardly ever, it's been years, but I wanna tell you how we give because it's not about that. I just wanna see you healthy in your finances. Uh, because if you're in the 77% that you feel this pressure, uh, you're just a good American. Stay with me. We have people watching right now, I know all over the world, we're televised in 54 different nations, and some nations do a better job than others educating their people, their citizens, on how to manage finances. Like I did some study on this, getting ready for today. Uh, the best nation they say on, on helping their citizens to have financial literacy is Denmark. So if you're watching in Denmark, good job. You guys are number one on the list. And what they do in Denmark is, uh, in grades seven, eight, and nine, in the public schools, all kids receive personal financial training. Not just economics, no national or global economics. They teach them how to manage money. And then every year in those same grades, they do a week, they call it the Global Money Week, and they bring in investment strategists and, and bankers and people to show them how to build budgets. Genius. 
So Denmark, Denmark, you don't need this sermon. The rest of us need this sermon. Um, other nations do this well, Sweden, uh, Norway, here in North America. Canada does a good job with this. They were number four on the list, Israel. But here in America, if you're not, you don't know our church, our campuses are in the States. Here in America, we're not even top 10 in educating the next generation on how to deal with money. So although our economy is big and our nation is big and our economy is kind of robust, we should do a better job. So if you are feeling financial stress, you're a good American. And probably no one ever sat down and kind of walked you through some of the stuff. So I'm gonna show you what the Bible says about all kinds of things about money. The Bible's ethic on economics is pervasive. So I'm gonna throw so much at you. If you wanna go somewhere in your Bible, go to uh, Matthew chapter six, and I'll be there in like 10 minutes, 12 minutes. But I'm gonna put on the screen a whole bunch of things the Bible says, like 10 different things. Get out your phones, take pictures of this. I'm gonna walk you through what the Bible says on how you can reduce your financial stress and therefore reduce the pressure on your relationships. So what's the the Bible say about money? Here we go, we'll start with number one. Uh, Here's the first thing you learn about money or resources, material things, the Bible. It all belongs to God. Most important financial principle in the Bible for a person of faith. It's not really mine, it's his. It says in Psalm 24 on the screen right now, it says the earth is the Lord's and. Can you read the small print there? The earth is the Lord's and. God says, guess what? It's not really yours. I, I know, I know it feels like yours. This is counterintuitive because your name is on the deed or your name is on the title or your name is on the mortgage, but it's not really yours. The earth is the Lord's and everything. It all belongs to me, God says. So it's not your house, it's my house. It's not your car, it's my car. It's not your 401k, it's my 401k. I know you wanna push back, but here's the logic. If it was really yours, you could keep it safe. But you remember 2009? When our 401ks became 201ks overnight? Markets, no matter how savvy our markets are fluid, sometimes it's a bull market, other times it's a bear market, and you watch things go up and down, things crash, there are recessions. God says, but don't stress that. I got you. It really belongs to me. And if it really belonged to you when you died, you could take it with you. But you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse one time, do you? In fact, Solomon had a lot of wealth. Solomon in Ecclesiastes saw about the frustration that when he died, all these palaces and homes and museums and beautiful garden he built, when he died, he couldn't take it with him. When he died, he's gonna leave it to other people, maybe stupid people. He said, I leave it to my kids. Maybe my kids were stupid. And by the way, his son was stupid. I mean, he left the whole kingdom and like 15 minutes later, his son Rehoboam loses, you know, 10 tribes. It was really ours, we could keep it. But the earth is Lord's and everything in it. So if it's all God, if I just steward or manage God's stuff, the Bible teaches if I manage God's stuff well and faithfully, he may give me more of his stuff to manage. It all belongs to God, it all belongs to God, all belongs to God. I I wrote this down, Uh, materialism will mess you up. Nothing wrong with having nice things. Let me say it again, nothing wrong with having nice, put your hands together if you enjoy nice things, new things, high tech things, cool things. Some of y'all aren't clapping. Because you were just so spiritual, you love garbage, you love trash, you love terrible things. I like to to live in the worst neighborhood possible, please. No, we all like nice, Nothing wrong with possessing nice things. The problem is when nice things start to possess you. And you're all about the new neighborhood or the new ride or the new kicks. Just, just be careful, man. Make your life bigger than that. 
Because if you go down that, if all you're doing is working seven days a week and stressing yourself out and neglecting your marriage, you might get those things, but they will not satisfy the hole in your soul the way you hope. Let me show you. Look at the verse on the screen. It's so good. It says, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. You're like, you never have money to, what broke brother said that? Solomon. By the way, don't discredit me because of my source, but Ripley's, believe it or not, calculated Solomon to be the individual in history with the greatest personal wealth that we can document. Not the richest nation, but the Bible goes through his individual wealth, the most, I mean, he made Bill Gates look lower middle class. And he says, guess what? The more I get, the bigger the hole is in my soul. So materialism, nice things are great, but don't define yourself by your things. Uh, quickly, so now the Bible says hard work's a good idea. You should work hard. The Bible seems hard work. Whatever you do, work it with all your hearts, working for the Lord, Colossians 3, uh, 23. Check out also Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 to uh, verse 11. We should work hard. Yes, we want God to bless us and favor us, but work hard. God blesses the grind, amen? Don't be lazy and not have a good life and blame it on God. Do what you can. I wrote this down. Don't spend all you make. Don't spend all you make. Don't spend all you make. In America, we're notorious consumers. The moment we get it, we spend it, right? It's kind of the way we do things in this country. Denmark, you don't do that, but we do that here in this country. Look what the Bible says. This is so clear. It says, the wise have wealth and luxury, but... Oh, come on, 10 o'clock. I know it's kind of small. The wise have wealth and luxury, but... Fools spend whatever they get. Turn to your neighbor and go, don't be a fool. Turn to your neighbor, don't, don't be a fool. Don't be, are you a fool? Are you a fool? Are you spending everything you make? Or, or worse, worse, don't spend all you make. Uh, how about this? Don't spend more than you make. Give it up for not spending more than you make. Come on, yeah! All right, hang with me right now, especially if you're in debt. Um, the Bible does not say debt is a sin. Never. But debt, especially too much debt, brings what? Pressure, stress. Your relationship feels this weight on it because your marriage, you know, kids, we can't because, well, the third mortgage needs paid, right? All right, so again, no one's probably ever taught you about how debilitating debt can be. And if you're feeling kind of guilty right now, like, oh, I'm the only person, no, no, you're not. Uh, for some research, I had to reach out to a credible source, so I reached out to... <clears throat> Jade Warshaw of Financial, uh, financial Peace. Jade, Jade's one of our worship leaders, uh, Sam and Jade, and she got plucked away, sadly, by Dave Ramsey, and she's working for Ramsey Solutions. They do financial counseling for people all over the world, and Jade's actually a great story. Sam and Jade, when we met them over a dozen years ago, as a young couple, they had $467,000 of debt, not mortgage, consumer debt. And they started working the financial peace plan. It took them seven years. They paid the whole thing off. And now she's speaking for that group. And so I called Jason Jade. I know Americans, at least not in Denmark, but here in America, we deal with a lot of debt. So how much debt does the average American family carry? She's a great source. She says the average American family carries $96,000 in consumer debt. That's, that's, that's debt on things that depreciate. That's not your home. That's not your mortgage. The pressure. The pressure. It could be the car. It could be the credit cards. It could be the student loan. And by the way, do I have any millennials in the house? Come on, millennials, make some noise. Millennials, come on, millennials. Yeah, they, they come to later services. Anyways, millennials. 
We have not done a good job training you as your parents and as your teachers and administrators. Why? Millennials, on average, as individuals, carry $117,000 in consumer debt. Not, not as couples, individuals. The pressure. And here's the problem. Some of y'all are way too cool with this. You're way too cool with all this debt, and you're like, it's the way I do my life. I keep borrowing and borrowing. Someday, man, here's why, here's why it's not a sin, but it should make you stress out a little bit. Proverbs 22.7 is on the screen, really small. Right now, really small, really small, boom. There you go. I want to make sure you, you catch this one. Take a picture of this one. Look what it says. The rich rule over the poor, comma, and the borrower is? Oh, is what? Slave. The person who borrows is the slave to the lender. Anybody here say, yes, I want tyranny. I want oppression. I want bondage. I want slave. No. But a lot of us are, are too casual and too comfortable with debt. You are making friends with your slave master. So it's not a sin. It's not a sin. But why don't you change your attitude towards debt? I want debt to make you mad. I want debt to make you angry. I want, I want you to love people and love God and love your neighbor, even try to love your enemy. But I want you to start to hate debt because God hates anything that takes away our freedom. God loves to set people free. You should know the truth. The truth shall set you free. But by contrast, he despises anything that brings bondage and limitation. And that's what debt does long term. So if you have all this crazy debt in your life, let's get you free. Let's get mad. Let's get serious. Let's get mad enough to actually do something, not just vent and be frustrated. Let's develop an action. I want you to hate debt a strong. I want you to hate debt. I want you to hate debt the way a Dolphins fan hates the Jets. Are you with me? I want you to hate debt the way the Florida Gators hate the Seminoles. I want you, uh, right? I want you to hate it. Get mad. Because you don't want to be a slave. I want our church to be known. That church, man, they love people. Man, they love people. They love God. They love broken people. They don't judge people. But man, they're smart with their money. We're not a rich church. How do I know that? I judge your cars as you drive up. I just judge you based on your cars. We're not a rich church. We can be smart with money. Uh, really quickly, I'll move to the other ones for the sake of time. But the Bible says all these things are remarkable. This book, the newest parts of this book, 2,000 years old. Look at the great relevant things it says about money. Uh, the Bible teaches uh, sound accounting practices. I'll just give you the references on these for the sake of time. That's Proverbs 27, 23. It teaches the value of building a budget. A budget's not a bad thing. Uh, a, budget, a budget is telling your money, being the boss of your money. I'm going to tell my money what to do and where to go. Instead of wondering where all my money went, Jesus describes this dynamic in Luke chapter 14. It talks about things as nuanced, as diversification of investments, of investing for the future, all that's in the Bible, in the book of Ecclesiastes. And by the way, I want you to get this. We want to train you in this. So we do offer Financial Peace University at least twice a year at Church by the Glaze. And the people cheering are the ones that actually went through it. And they worked the plan. It takes nine weeks. It's one session every week. Uh, I think it costs 25 bucks. If you can't afford that, borrow that from somebody. <laughs> yeah, you already so did. Best 25 bucks you'll ever spend. And, uh, and, and just work the plan, and people discover the pathway to freedom. Because it's overwhelming. I'll get dead, David. I got, I got a first mortgage and a second mortgage and car payments, and I got a student loan, and I got three maxed out credit cards, and I got this. What do I even start with? Right? They'll show you where to start. Where do you, you need a plan. You need to be smart with money. I'm not talking about giving, am I? 
I'm talking about the rest of it that you mismanaged so badly you can't give if you wanted to. So uh, let's, let's get smart. But if you figure this out, it's, if, it's power. It liberates. So our staff here at Church by the Glades overall is a very young staff. We mandate they go through financial peace. And so I got these young punks. We don't pay them a ton, but man, they understand how to manage their money. And these kids are studying for the retirement. I mean, they're young. They got pimples and come to church on their long boards, and, but they got 401ks happening. And the power of this in time, look, I had someone teach me. My dad was a skilled blue collar worker. He was a pipe fitter that's an industrial plumber. My dad always, we kind of lived at a middle class level, but my dad knew how to save and live in a market, spend less than you make and save and invest. My, my dad, he's in heaven now for five years. My dad made Dave Ramsey look liberal. He paid cash for every car. He didn't have a credit card until he was 50. Um, he paid cash for every house after his first house. He sent me and my brother and sister all to private Christian college without student debt. So I learned this stuff from my dad. And right, I pass this on to my kids. So my, my kids, my oldest kid, Charlie, Charlie's 22. He's already saving for his retirement. Victoria is the same way. Crazy thing is Zane, because Pastor Raul Palacios, he's our, our financial pastor here, and he's, he's, he's phenomenal. Raul, I knew Raul when he was in high school. He was that, you know that weird kid that carries a briefcase to high school? He was that kid, like <laughs> MBA, University of Miami, just great with numbers. He sat down with all three of my kids and said, if you'll start investing money now, when you're 65, if you put it in something, don't touch. So Zane had all that grandma money, when he's like 11, like oh, grandma gives you money for Christmas and, and Amy gives you money. He just put all that stuff in a drawer. So he took, not, not money I gave him, he took that money and gave it to Pastor Raul and he started an investment account and a mutual fund and if he chooses not to touch it ever again, not to add another dime, by the time he's 65, it'll be worth over a quarter of a million dollars. That is power, that is freedom. So I have an 11 year old better with money than you. So we want to dial up your financial IQ. Why? To take the pressure off your relationships. So if you think, God, help me financially. God, we're so stressed out. God, say, here's your answer. Financial Peace University in February. Take it. Be open. They want to embarrass you or shame you. They'll just give you that plan. Work the plan. Find the freedom. Amen? So that's, that's nine or ten things. The other thing is, yes, Christians practice generosity, habitual generosity. Why? Because God blesses individual actions, but he really blesses habits. So again, I'm not gonna ask you to give, but why, why, why do we give? Why do some of us give? Not all of us give. Why do some of us give a tithe and offering? Quickly, it's taught throughout the Bible. I'll show you some verses on the big screen right now. Read the highlighted words. It says in Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, honor the Lord with your wealth from the first, good job, from, very important, from the first of your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow, I love the lavish language. Your vats will overflow with new wine. New wine, I like the old stuff, but new wine, yes. Don't tell the Baptist, wine's in the verse. And, but I, I give to God first. Well, it makes you sad, I get it, but you should do this anyway. So I, what, why first? Because he's a great God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. So the biblical generosity strategy is let me take care of everything else and this bill and this obligation and some stuff for me and then if anything's left over, hey God, here's my doggy bag. Here's my leftovers. He's a great king. He deserves my first and my finest. My first. So God always comes, comes first. Malachi 3.10 is a famous promise. Malachi 3.10 is on the screen ready right now. Bring the whole tithe. That's an archaic word for 10%. That's where the 10% thing comes from. Why 10%? No idea. 
God never tells us why. God could have said, you know, 5% or he could have said 50%. It's all his. The earth is the Lord's. But he says 10%, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. There may be food in my house. And then God says, let me throw down here. Test me in this as the Lord Almighty and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. Get ready. And pour out so much that you will not have room enough for it. You, you don't need that, do you? You don't need, uh, David, uh, technically, what is a blessing? Fair question. Blessing is God's tangible and intangible favor on your life. Is God just getting all up in your stuff? Is God adding his super to your natural? What's the best part, the tangible or the intangible? I Man, I love the tangible, but it's the intangibles. It's the blessings of God that you cannot put a price tag on. So when's God gonna do that? How? Don't know, verse doesn't say. But the one thing I know is this, God never lies. God never embellishes for effect. God never exaggerates. Get your attention. God will never oversell you. Right, I thought about calling the sermon. I didn't put the title on the screen. I was gonna put the, the, uh, the most important things to know about money in 25 minutes. But I thought that's an oversell. That's an oversell. It's just a survey. God will never do that to you. Never do it. He said, but you bring the tithe and I'm gonna bless you in such a big way. You won't have a garage big enough or storage sufficient enough for what I wanna do in your life. So do you trust God or not? So it's very quiet in here if you're watching online. Let me see if I can get it going uh, again, make it more interactive. So based on these verses, I see two reasons to give. One is obedience, one is blessing. Obedience, All, as I need a Christian person, just the one, two, three, four, uh, just the four first words, right? Because I'm a Christian person. If God said, bring the whole tithe, and made no promise. I'm like, okay, God, you love me and you save me and you redeem me from hell and whatever you ask me to do, I want to do. So I will, I will do it. But he's so generous that if you do it, I'll do this. I will self-obligate to bless you in such a lavish way. So here's a question. I do want you to vote out loud by applause. What's the best reason to do this? Obedience or receiving blessing? We'll, we'll do it by applause. Who says, who says the best reason is obedience? Make some noise. Put your hands together. All right, you can vote online. Who says, no, 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 the best reason is I want to be blessed. I want to be blessed. Come on, put your hands together for blessed. And you can vote twice. You can vote twice. I don't care. They're both great answers. I, I want to be obedient. Yeah, if heaven has something for me. <laughs> I want it. Doesn't make me selfish. It makes me smart. If heaven has a blessing for you, you want everything heaven has for you. All right, so, but I guess think maybe the best, the best, the best, stay with me. I'm not asking you to give, but why? We, I'm not even telling you how we give. People caught me after church last week, so how do you guys give? I said, come back next week. So I'm gonna tell you next week. Because listen, if you choose not to give, we're okay. There's thousands of people here, man. God's gonna touch someone else and we'll pay the bills and we'll do the great stuff we do without you, but you, you'll miss this. You'll miss this. Well, I'm in heaven, you know, with my blessing God gave me. You're like, what happened? Well, I, I just did what I preached. You didn't, <laughs> right? I think actually the best reason to be generous as a person of faith is not just obedience or not positioning myself to receive the full favor of heaven blessing is, is love. It's love because I'm, I'm a grown up and I've lived my life long enough to recognize, see if you, that I recognize just the reality of life that everything and everyone I love costs me money. True? Is that true? I think about it, like people come like, oh, really? I never noticed that. I thought the best things in life are free. Where are you living? <laughs> Love of God, oxygen. End of the free list right there. Everything else seems to cost money. It costs, it costs money, right? Especially people cost money. So, so, 
so Jesus says something really quick. I show you this Jesus verse super fast. I gotta run through this. Uh, he, he says in Matthew chapter six, these are words of the king, great, great commission. He says, do not store for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, and where 2009 happens. That's not in the text, but it should be, because stuff, it disappears. But store for yourself treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not. He says, what you do, you can't take it with you, but what you send on ahead, I, I'm gonna keep for you, and I'll multiply it, and you will somehow see it again. I don't even know what that means. But that intrigues me. That's part of the blessing dynamic. But I read all those verses to get to this verse. Verse 21's on the screen right now. Because Jesus makes this observation about the human heart and psychology. He says, for where your treasure is, there your your heart will be also. So just an observation about life that your heart and your treasure, your love and your money, they always track together, inextricably linked. Stay with me. Stay with the smart people. What are the indicators of what somebody truly loves? Here's what we indicate love or affection, uh, passion, uh, words, words. You say loving things, you say kind things, uh, uh, touch, touch, you know, affection, hugs, kisses, a way to demonstrate love perhaps. You, you kiss your baby on his forehead. Uh, acts of service or sacrifice. Veterans, you guys sacrifice for our nation because you love that. Awesome, thank you. All right, but what's the truest indication right there of all these many things? Maybe money. Because someone can say they love you and they can lie. All the single women in their 30s know. Some smooth talking brother, right? Baby, I love you. His affection, oh, you're awesome, right? He didn't love you. Smooth talking liar, right? Money doesn't lie. So I had the team create this, this, this prop. I, we love props around here, right, props. This is the most clever and sophisticated prop ever on this idea of the relationship between love and money. So here's this prop, this very clever prop. There's my heart. And here's my money. Let's see if Jesus was right. Let's see if Jesus is right. Here's my heart, here's, here's my money right here. My heart, my money right here, right, okay? All right, so let's think of something I love or someone I love, and I love uh, my brother-in-law, I love Michael. Michael's on the front row. JP is a friend, I love JP. I mean, who do I love? Who do I love like a lot? Who do I love? Uh, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, Lisa, Lisa, of course, of course. Lisa, Lisa. Now, when I met Lisa, she wasn't my wife, she was Lisa Evans. And we met in the young adult ministry of my church, like their rally, but it wasn't nearly as cool as our rally, but they had this, and so I'm there, here's this, there she is when she's, 20 years old when I first saw her. You might not know our story, but Lisa Evans and I at first were friends. We're just buddies hanging out, man. She was so smart and sharp and godly and funny. But then I like started to notice like, she's hot too, right? Like, what am I doing being friends with Lisa? So what, man, she started to capture my heart. She started, I started to fall for her. I started, you know, we started to date, right? Started to date and man, I, I fell in love with her and we got engaged. Then we got married. But I noticed as my heart began to travel towards Lisa, as Lisa Evans, oh my gosh, became my girlfriend, and then my fiance, right? <laughs> then my wife, as my heart began to follow her, wait a minute, as my heart, my money came too. Let me get this out of the way so you not miss on this side, this incredibly sophisticated prop that team made up. I couldn't believe how it happened, right? Let me run in reverse, run in reverse for the slow people. Ready? Beep, 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 beep. Man, being friends, 
I was in school, all right, she, she was just, uh, you know, we're eating pizza on the cheap, we're, we're going Dutch. Uh, we found a dollar movie theater back on Wednesday nights because we dated back in the 1800s, right? All that stuff. And, 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 but man, once we started to date, fell in love. Oh, it's, it's no dollar movies anymore. Well, we're paying for weddings, flowers, right? Oh, as I fall in love with, as my heart began to follow Lisa, as we got married and she got all of my heart, she got all of my money. And I don't care because I love her. Jesus was a genius. He says, so if you, if you, if you love Jesus, right, there's, there's a financial component. Maybe make sure it's not just Lisa. Maybe it's a one-off. Maybe it's just an anomaly. But back it up. Back it up the complex, the very complex, very sophisticated illustration. Because it's just basically, I'm, I'm just doing what verse 21 says. All right? Let's, let's go. Uh, okay, so I love Lisa. I love Lisa. I love my friends. I love the staff here. Pastor Raul, dear friend. Uh, Pastor Mac. Who else do I love? Lisa. Uh, oh, my kids. Thank you. My children. I almost forgot about my children. Yes. My children. Oh, I think I have a picture of my, my kids. My kids. Here's a picture of my kids. No wonder. Look how they're attractive. Give it up for my kids. Thank you very much. Please. Shouldn't have to ask for that. You don't know my kids, too. They're good kids. They're good kids. They've given us, like, like no trouble. They've not made bad decisions growing up. Uh, Charlie's my preacher, and Zane's my athlete, and Victoria's my scholar, and I love them, and they love the house of God, and they've made good grades, and they're, they're phenomenal. I'm so proud of them. And they cost me so much money. I mean, I'm telling you, Charlie needed braces, and Zane's gonna have to get braces, and man, they're growing like weeds. I'm buying Zane new shoes literally every five weeks. I got two in college at the same time. I got two drivers under 25, and I'm paying state of Florida insurance on those two. They cost me so much money. In fact, I love them, and sometimes I look at them, I don't see this, I look at them and I see this. I'm like, they're so expensive. But never one time did I think, maybe, honey, maybe we should just eBay one child, eBay one child. Never, never, right? Why? Because, because they, they have my heart, because I love them, I adore them, I would die for them. So, because I love them, and my heart follows after my kids. Oh my gosh, look what teeth coming after my heart. Make it stop, right? Because I love them, I keep buying Zane new shoes, and I pay for the sports camps, right? And I, I feed them three times a day, they insist on eating three times a day. But because I love them, they get what? My, that was terrible. Because I love them, they get my, don't say a word, don't say a word. For all you who say, man, I love Jesus so much. Jesus, look at the way I pray. Look at me raise my hands while I worship. But you don't give? Do you see the disconnect there? It's not a money problem. I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I, I want you to just be aware that anything or anyone you really love, there's always a financial investment. For God so loved the world that he gave. He models generosity. He didn't give his money, he gave his son. And so I wanna be like God. So if you love anything, anyone, you, you just, it's just part of the equation, it's part of the deal, it's just life. So 24 years ago, Lisa and I stood up, Lisa Evans and I stood up in front of Pastor Dan Sutherland at a church on South Beach. 
I remember that girl turning the corner in the aisle like it happened five minutes ago. There's no lobby in the church. The doors open to a, a Lincoln Road a Mall. And it's a bright, sunny day, and people are walking back and forth. They all pump the brakes and stop because this beautiful bride was turning the corner. Man, I don't remember what I said. You know, I did say I do. And um, I made some vows like, till death do us part, and for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. And then we said something like, and with all my worldly goods, now back at the time, right? That was like a used pickup truck and $14,000 in the bank. But she got it all. Got it all Why she had my heart. Anything God gives us, she gets it all. It's not yours anyways. That's why we give. Does it make sense now? It's not, look, I, I, I could do other things. We use the resource as well. I could put images up on the screen of the orphans that we feed in multiple nations. I could show you the children we, we, rec we rescue at the point of star starvation in the jungles of Guatemala. I could show you kids that we feed the scavenge in dumps in that same country. I could have Sarah McLaughlin music playing in the background and go for heartstrings. We do great stuff with it, but that's not why you give. You give because you love. Where your treasure is, your, there your heart is also. So that's on you. That's the one sermon this year. Do with it what you will. But I pray you would do the loving thing. And if you're not living in Denmark and you're financially under pressure, financial peace, no hard sell, financial peace, that's your pathway to freedom. Father God, thank you so much for being a highly relational God. There's someone in this room right now gonna say yes to Jesus Christ, not as a religious act, as their personal Lord and Savior, as a relational step. So Father, uh, people out there stressed out like, oh my gosh, does God just want my wallet? Does God want my Venmo? No. God wants everything. God wants your heart and your soul and your life and the things you do well and the things you do terribly unwell. He wants all that. So God, we give ourselves completely to you. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today. To hear more messages like this, make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. Don't forget to stay connected with us by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CBGlades at Pastor D. Hughes.